What's up, everybody? It is time for episode three of The Madness Show with your host, JB, Jay Bizzle, Johnny Boy. It is a great day. A great day. Because it's podcast release day every week with your man right here. Big shout out to my friend and number one fan of the show, Mr. Cecil Keithley. That's right. You heard it. My number one fan, Cecil Keithley. If you're out there, Cecil, this this is my this is my sound for you. Cecil Keithley came out of the clouds into my life to be the Madness Show number one fan. He's not paying me to do this either. Okay, so I'll play it twice. That's more my that's my Cecil Cecil. Cecil, Cecil, shout out, number one fan, episode three. I'm going to make a t-shirt out of it. So today, um, you know, every show I was like, man, I want to have a guest every show because it's easier to just to talk to someone sitting across from me than it is to talk to myself here for, you know, 30 minutes. And so I thought, man, you know, it'd be a good idea. I had someone from my church, they're going to a Bible school right now, and they were like, hey, Pastor John, I want to interview you. I was like, no way. That's crazy. Uh, I am honored and flattered. So he sent me a list of questions. that, So that made me think about, man, what do I want show number three to be? I know. Episode three will be about interview with the Pastor John. <laughs> Which is ironic because I'm also a pastor. So John Bell from The Madden Show is going to interview Pastor John of Covenant Life Church. In walks at you. If you don't have a church, come on. Come on. Come to church. We ready for you. Be the church. What it do? All right, anyway. So, I'm going to do 12 questions because it gave me the idea because he gave me these 12 questions. I said, I'd be proud to uh, answer those questions for you, young young stud. Shout out to uh, Christopher. So, he sent me these questions. and I thought, man, these are really good questions. Made me think a lot. So I thought, man, a lot of people probably, not probably, a lot of people do ask me these type of questions. So I'm going to ask myself the question, and then I'm going to answer that question. So this is episode three, Interview with the Pastor. Apologize about that. Forgot to turn off my Bluetooth. So now that's turned off. Let's do the interview with no interruptions, no distractions. So here we go. Question number one. How would you describe your current ministry in your own words? That made me think a lot because I don't just see ministry as like, you know, I don't look, I didn't look for a job per se. So my story of getting into being a lead pastor is different than most pastors' journeys that they take to become a lead pastor. What do I mean by that? So my ministry, how I see it, is my life. My life becomes a ministry when I gave it to Jesus, right? So how did I become the lead pastor? It's a little different. I didn't go to seminary. Uh, I didn't I didn't do that. So uh, it kind of goes into my testimony, right? So testimony, when you think about your testimony, you know, you think about this crazy moment in your life and, and what it was like before Jesus... 
And then you kind of think about what is life after Jesus. And so I'm not going to lie. My, my mom will tell you, man, I was I was a trouble kid, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a trouble kid, right? So um, huh, how did I get to pastor? So gave my life to Jesus at 22 years old. Moved from Spokane, Washington to Cleveland, Ohio for six months in the basement of an Italian Christian family and gained 20 pounds. That's right. And I read my Bible every day and be, found out who I was in Jesus through reading my Bible, through reading God's Word. Did that for six months. Had a crazy dream. And in this dream, I was in a two-seater airplane. And this is going to sound crazy to a lot of you guys, but this, this is amazing to me. And it actually kind of gets me choked up every time I talk about it. But I was having a dream, and this, and we're going to get to answer that question of what you know, what does my current ministry look like today? In my own words, is I was in a two seater airplane, and Jesus was the pilot of the plane. I know, watch out, Gary Underwood. Jesus took the wheel, but he took the plane. We're in an airplane wearing the old school goggles with the old school scarves and brown leather jackets. Jesus's hair blowing in my face. And we were in this two-seater airplane, and I was at a point in my life that, you know, I was engaged to my beautiful wife who you guys met last episode. And I was really praying about what is next in my life. What am I going to do? I have no college education. I got nothing. I got no job. Well, I had a job. I was working at Party City. Let me tell you, there's nothing more humbling than people just saying, how do I look in this Halloween outfit? Ugh, man. (laughs) Anyway, so I was working at Party City. I was also DJing. And uh, I had a dream, the dream, Jesus flying around in an airplane. I wish I had a sound effect for that. So Jesus and I were in an airplane. We fly around, and he goes, there. I look, we pull a hard left in that little plane. I look, and I see the state of Texas. I have no family in Texas. The only thing I knew about Texas was like Chuck Norris. Does that make sense? Like, when I think Texas, I thought about you know, not the Dallas Cowboys. I thought about real Cowboys. Walker, Texas, how you doing, boy? How your mama now? Like, I just pictured, like, the Wild West. And I think everyone from the Northwest thinks the Wild West when you think Texas. That everyone was going to have a gun and a cowboy hat and and spit tobacco at me. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't have any, no family, whatever. And it was interesting because I had a youth pastor in Washington State. And, yes, I went to youth group. But while I was going to youth group as a young man, I was still, I was, I was just a bad, I was a bad kid. Still smoking weed while I was in the youth group. And no doubt seeds were planted. God had a, a plan, but I was just a bad kid. So anyway, that youth pastor was from Texas. So if anything, I kind of had this thing towards Texas, like, because everyone was like, oh, Texas is better. Everything's bigger and better in Texas. And I thought, man, I just, uh. So Jesus showed me this cloud, and I saw Texas, and then it, and then a, the cloud kind of scooted to the side, and it said W-A-X. And I was like, Wax? Wax, Texas? What in the world is that? So check this out. That was like right around Christmas Eve. I get a phone call the next day. And I get a call from my former youth pastor who was literally in Washington State. He said, hey, man, I heard you actually gave your life to Jesus. I was like, yeah. I did, man. I've been reading my Bible for six months. I'm living in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, he goes, hey, I've been thinking and I'm going to be moving. And I want you to be my youth pastor because I think I'm going to take over this church as the senior pastor. 
I was like, no way. God just gave me a dream, but it's probably not the same thing. And I go, well, where are you going? And he from Spokane, Washington said, I'm moving to Texas. Jaw drops. I go, well, what city? He said, Waxahachie. You know, people that don't aren't from here, they call it Waxahachie. Because my dad said, you're going to wax a what? And I was like, no, dad, Waxahachie. And the cloud moved. I saw the rest of the city. and I knew that God had had put in my heart, like, that's where I'm supposed to go. So no family here, no nothing. Told my beautiful uh, fiancé <laughs> that, uh, hey, I'm... Uh, I'm out of here, babe. I got to go to Texas. See what God has for me. No, I was really excited. I wasn't sad. So I told her I was going to Texas, and, and then here I, here I came to Texas. No family, no nothing, but just knew God told me to come here. Well, it's funny because the guy that brought me here, he was the youth pastor for a little while. I'm still good friends with him, and then he had other plans, and he went on, became a cop, and did some things, and it was like, boom, I'm the youth pastor. Then I moved away, had no plans to be a pastor, and I was actually meeting with the former pastor of this church where I was a youth pastor and we were meeting about who he was going to choose to be the next lead pastor. And I thought, this is great. I'm going to serve whoever the lead pastor is, man. Don't really want to be in ministry full time, but you know, whatever God has for me, but we both knew I was supposed to be the lead pastor. It's not a job. It's a calling. I definitely feel called to pastor. I love to walk with people along their journey in life and their faith in Jesus and find out what that's all about. And so we ate breakfast, we looked at each other, and he's like, you know, don't you? And I was like, yep. And then so we just ate breakfast, and we didn't even talk about, you know, the other candidates and stuff. So, but my the current ministry, I know that was probably the longest rabbit trail you've ever seen, but it gives you some context of where I am at in my life. I'm 35. My ministry is my life. It's my marriage. It's my parenting. It's my everyday interaction with people. That is my ministry. I died to myself and I tried to let Jesus shine through me as much as humanly possible. So that is how I describe my current ministry. Um, so question number two. When did you first feel called to ministry and what steps did you take to get there? And this is what I said. I would say the day I truly gave my life to the Lord was the day that I accepted him into my life would be the day I felt called to ministry. Because if you're a believer out there, what we believe in Christianity is that we died to ourself to let Christ live in us. And it's about his plan, his purpose, his business, not necessarily ours anymore. And so I don't like, I don't think it was necessarily like a feeling. It was more like a choice. I'm going to choose this. And, uh, and so that ever since then, man, it's been, it's been ministry and so many people, man, in college, I think full-time ministry is a job. And I, I think, yes, you can get honored and get paid for what you do, but it's not a, it's not a job. I don't clock out of this thing and be like, ha, I'm out of here. Cause you know what? I walk with people through their life and my wife knows that my family knows that because problems don't stop at five o'clock when you clock out on a Monday or Tuesday or whatever. Problems keep going, and you get messages, calls, and emails, and that's what I signed up for. I want to—I know I'm called to do it, and I love to do it. Don't get me wrong. I have to have rest. I have to get away with God by myself, but uh, man, I love I love pastoring. So, and you got to mind you, this guy, Chris, my friend, he's, he's uh, going to school to become a pastor, and I think in school nowadays, a lot of people have a, I don't know, 
it's kind of hard because, you know, college may teach you like a job or how to start a church, how to have the perfect marketing program for church. And it's not really what it's about. Church is people. And I think they confuse the temple and the synagogue from the church. Like church was people. Jesus said, upon this rock, upon a person, I will build my church. He didn't say, you know what? This old Walmart would make a great church. Hey, this uh, this old Big Lots, man, it's right off the highway, has about 20,000 traffic every day. Like he, he built the church upon a person. And we gather together on Sunday, it's great, but that's not the church. It's all who are believers. That's the church. And so... Question number three. How much schooling did you undergo prior to ministry? Ha! Whew, that's a good one. Um, I actually got my degree in communications. I did two years at Navarro College, a year at University of North Texas at Dallas, and then a year at Eastern Washington University. Got some credits toward my master's, but the only way I wanted to get my master's degree is if my brother and sister agreed to call me master. Just kidding, they would never do it. But it'd be funny if I got my master's degree. Because, you know, if you get your doctorate, they call you doctor, whatever. I just told my mom, I'm like, yeah, I'll get my master's if uh, my brother agrees to call me Master John. But he disagreed, so here I am with my bachelor's. But after getting my degree in communication, I went to Destiny Leadership Online. It's a one-year, you know, Bible-based schooling that teaches you the Word of God, hermeneutics, Lots of good stuff, church history. I actually skipped that class because I didn't want to know what divided us as the believers of God. I didn't want to know, like, hey, what makes you, you know, what makes you Assemblies of God? What makes you Church of Christ? What makes you Baptist? What makes you non-denominational? What makes you, you know, nominational? <laughs> so I skipped that class. But um, so I really think, though, that we are lifelong learners. I like that one. That deserves some applause. I know if you're listening right now, you're like, man, that deserves some applause. And then you give that speech where you're standing before your peers and your friends. Thank you for teaching me the ways of life. You know what I mean? Like, you never stop learning. We are students. We are learners all of our life. Every minute we are learning it never stops you never stop learning so how much schooling internship did i undergo i have a bachelor's degree which was in communication i can use like maybe five percent of that in the church world (laughs) the year of you know old testament survey new testament survey how to read your bible not screw it up and create some crazy ideology and theology based on one verse (laughs) how to read it how to use it how to apply it to your life right so that's kind of what i had Question number four. Let me go back to my drum roll. Question number four. What skills do you think someone in ministry should have? And then I said, hey, some of this depends on what ministry you're going into. What do you even think ministry is? I tend to do this a lot. I'll answer your question with like five questions. Or the way the way my brain works is someone will ask me something. Like my wife will say, hey, how was your day? And then I'll think like, like how was it like, the scope of work I got done, how were my feelings throughout the day, um, church, fam- like I split it up into areas and I go, how was that part of that part of that part? Or what do you think about this? And then like, that's how my brain works. So when people ask me like, what skills do you think someone should have in ministry? My brain kind of goes, well, 
you can be a janitor. You can have a willing heart to serve. And that's that's kind of what I said is that the most important thing I think that we should have today in in the church world is to have a servant heart, servant mind, servant attitude, no matter what. Jesus was the master, but he also said he came to serve, not to be served. He didn't pursue titles. He simply knew who he was, and he operated in it. The word even shows us that he grew in wisdom and stature. That's Jesus, the one we follow. The word says he grew in wisdom and stature. I hope to grow in wisdom and stature. I also think it's important to have a teachable, willing, and humble heart because um, ministry can be hard. People can be hard, but people can be rewarding. But you have to be teachable and coachable. You don't want to come across as some crazy, narcissistic person. You don't want to come across as a know-it-all. You don't want to come across as, uh, you know, having no backbone or spine, or else you'll fail. Yep. That's it. So uh, that's what skills. Teachable, coachable heart. Um, to be humble. Um, never be a boss. Always be a leader. There's a big difference. Um, come to serve. Don't come to be served. Then, next question. What was the process of establishing the church? And then I, I told him this. There's, there's kind of two ways to look at this. The first one is, you know, you could... Uh, you could Start your, God could put it in your heart to start a church from the ground up, but I think the very principle, the philosophy is what is church? Church to me is not a building. We talked about that earlier. Church is not a property. Church is not a style of service. It's not the length of a service. Uh, church is not a racial group. Church is not an age group. So I think people have to get back to that root of what is church? And if you think church is people, then there isn't that much emphasis on your service. You know, whether you do a one-hour service, two-hour service, I don't care if you do a 12-hour service. Jesus desires us to be his hands and his feet and his church 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? So I think it's important that you... Establishing a church is just having a community. Having a community of believers, it doesn't matter if you meet at a house, if you pitch in together to get a building. Um, church is people, and it's beautiful. I love, as the pastor of this of this congregation, I love when I hear about testimonies and stories, and people are like, hey, I went from thugging to hugging, you know? Like, I went from drugs to hugs. I went from, you know, bad boy to... Jesus boy. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that totally blesses me. Whoosh. All right. And really in these questions, there's not really a wrong answer. You know, because there's just, there's questions, right? Let's see when you first. And so, and, and so let me back up to that question. So you can either start your own church or in today's American church world, you, you, you know, in a lot of church governments, you apply for the job. It's crazy. Um, and so, but there's also times where, where God already started a group, like our teaching pastor, who I'm very close with, him and a group of people started the foundation of this church, the foundation of the, these four couples as believers, and now it is what it is. And then I took over, because uh, the church is 21 years old, actually, this month. woo Yeah. The church is, Covenant Life Church, 21 years old. And I've been the lead pastor for three and a half, almost four years. 
Thanksgiving will be four years that I've been the lead pastor. And so, yeah, I took over for someone, which is kind of hard because when you start something, they have their own vision, they have their own kind of thoughts of what they want to do, and then God raised me up, and I had a, a little different of a view, a little different strategy, a little different emphasis of what I wanted to do um, and teach and be. And so that took literally probably three years to get to where uh, it's more, I'm not, you know, as trying to do what he did, but really saying, God, what do you want from me in this location, in this city? You know, because I have such a heart for this city. God brought me to this city. I love the people of this city. I sound like a politician right now. I do have a good impression, I think, of a couple presidents, but I'm not going to do that right now. That'll be a different show. <laughs> Back to it. All right. Question number seven. When you began running the church, what did your work week look like? And this is this is what was hard because I was like, man, I got to get better at this because work week looks, you know, there's several things that you do in a small church. Small church, most of the people that are going to school right now to become pastors are going to have reality checks. You get out of school to become a pastor, and you're like, I didn't know I was going to be an electrician, a plumber, a lawyer, a counselor. Well, counselor, yeah. I didn't know I was going to be a property manager, a, a, a janitor. A, I didn't know I was going to be like, wow. You know, and most people, you know, I think college is a false portrayal of like what it really looks like because you go to school thinking like I'm going to get a job at a mega church and be mega awesome and most jobs or most which I don't look at as a job most pastoral roles are going to be in small churches 90% of the students going to college to become that are going to be shocked because you're like man this is uh, you know the reality check comes in you're like I did not expect this. So I would say your work week, you got to be flexible because when you're a pastor, I think one of the biggest biggest and best things we can do is train people, equip them up to do what they are called to do. So that's what I hope to do with our the space that God gave us with this property and with everything I have to equip and train people for the work of the ministry. That's That's what I'm trying to do. So my work week is different every day. Might be walking someone along. I might have to leave the office, go to the hospital, go to a home, counsel someone at midnight. Uh, it just looks different. I might have to take care of the property or, or do some research for the property or um, deal with a tenant. Um, all kinds of fun things, right? Uh, let's see. In the current setting at Covenant Life Church, what does your average week work week look like? Um, I try to put in the 40-hour kind of thing, right? 40 hours a week in just doing the Oh, man, the upkeep, property management, taking care of the building, keeping everything up to code. Um, in our church, we had a giant sinkhole in the parking lot, and that thing was crazy. Um, basically, what happened is the the water runs underneath our building. Like, all the storm water runs underneath our building, and it created a giant sinkhole. It probably would have been pretty cool to do baptisms. <laughs> Just kidding. I wouldn't do baptisms in there. I did tell my kids that's where the bad kids go. <laughs> uh, but we had a giant sinkhole in the parking lot, so I, as the pastor, had to like do a bunch of research in in the law and water law 
and all this other stuff and how to help get it resolved. And I'm, I'm thankful for people around me that help with the church, you know, do things while I was busy kind of doing the other things. So, um, yeah, you just never know what it's going to look like. But I, I do have people around me that are help making it better. I think about in Exodus, Moses was leading many people, many much people Moses led. And his father-in-law was the one to be like, hey, dude, uh, stop doing everything and get a few good men and train them up and let them do these things so that you can focus on what you're supposed to do. So I've, I've men in my life that help me do that. They help keep me straight. And uh, it's just good. They're good. They're good to me, and I'm so thankful for them. Keep me on track. All right. Three more. What are the some of the greatest challenges that you overcome in ministry? I'm so sorry. This is the way I am. I can't help. When I read that question, there's so many R's I had to like, and you cut it. All right. What are some of the greatest challenges that you overcome in ministry? Uh, in one word? People. I almost did it twice because that's how hard it can be. We, as people, we're difficult. Can I get an amen out there? Man, I need to get I need to get a sound effect that has amen. Can I get an amen out there? But yeah, some of the not some, but the greatest challenges I've overcome in ministry are people. Think about all the times in the Bible. One specifically that just comes to my mind right now is you remember when uh, you know, David was going about about to be the king, messed up, checked out some some girl in a bathtub with binoculars and was like, dang, come over here. And you know David for messing up, and but he still was a man after God's own heart. And he found himself at one point in a cave. I can't even imagine. My power went out for four days one time last year, and I felt like I was in a cave. But that's uh, neither here nor there. But he was in a cave, and he was just trying to serve his, his master, King Saul. He was just trying to serve him. And he got, you know, he got jealous of David. And so he was trying to kill him. You know, no big deal. Just another day in the life of David is that uh, the person he was serving and trying to help wanted to kill him. So he was in a cave. And uh, sorry if this is not totally pinpoint accurate. It's just coming to my mind. I haven't looked it up. But basically, Saul was in the cave. And David had the chance to, to cut his little head off. And people in David's life were like, hey, man. Do it. Do it. Get your knife, man. Do it. Just do it. And Dave was like, no, bro. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I don't think that's what God wants me to do. And oftentimes I find in ministry that there are times where I feel like God speaks to my spirit to do something and people around me are like, no, dude. Or they'll tell me to do something that I feel like God didn't tell me to do. So that's one of the greatest challenges. But also I, I have the saying as the pastor, and it is this, <clears throat> where two or more are gathered, there is drama. Where two or more people are gathered, there's drama. People don't get along. People get hurt. People get offended. Um, and in our society today, 2021, it happens a lot easier than it probably ever did before the internet or phones. Um, I know you're thinking this. Amen to that. It absolutely is crazy. And so that's some of the greatest challenges that you're going to overcome in ministry. If you're young out there and you're like, man, I want to do full-time ministry, you're going to go through uh, full-time stresses 
you're going to go through and you have to learn how to process it. You have to learn how to like, um, to choose where you put your focus. Philippians 4, 8 is a great verse for you. Think about the things that are lovely and just and righteous and awesome. Don't spend your time thinking about the things that are not awesome that are, you know, if your attention's on the drama, then you're going to be drama. If your attention's on the being the victim, then you will be the victim. So I would say that the great, that, that's the greatest challenges is when a, if you don't surround yourself with healthy people, like even Jesus, you know, he was a friend of the sinners, but he had, you know, he had his three peeps, you know, that encouraged him and, and were like-minded. And that's, that's what we have to do is get people that are going to encourage us and, and encourage us to get alone and seek the word, seek wisdom in our life. So uh, I don't think there's a greater challenge in ministry than people. So if God tells you to do something, you have to rely on that and not have fear of man or fear of anything else. It is sad. You know, some people, um, I can understand a temptation that is out there in small churches. I myself am semi-bivocational. I have other ways to make money. And if a pastor doesn't have that, then they could be tempted if their all their income came solely from the church and the tithes and people then they could be tempted to not preach the truth. I committed a long time ago when I became the pastor that I would not have fear of man, that I would preach the truth even when it hurts and uh, not worry about all about money. And I'm glad I don't have to. I'm glad God gave me other ways and outlets to make money so that I don't have to think about that or be tempted with that. Um, so that, that answers the question. Greatest challenges. You know, but here's the funny thing. What's the greatest reward in ministry? People. Winning the lost, making disciples, seeing someone grow in their relationship with Jesus. And they go from, from this, you know, to, uh, to this. From death to life. And it's so cool. It's so cool to see someone not know anything about Jesus. Then they hear the gospel. Then they accept Jesus. And then you get to train and equip them and disciple them. And then they grow. And then they start going and make an impact. And it's a beautiful thing to see. So, question number 10. How do you feel that Covenant Life is affecting the community? And uh, Covenant Life is the name of our building. Um, we don't have a membership at, at my church. There's not like, hey, sign up today and get your membership and enjoy the benefits of the membership. I don't do that. Uh, if you love Jesus, you are a member of the kingdom of God. And if you choose to worship with us on Sunday, man, that's awesome. And I'll admit, as a, as a person, I'm selfish. I want to worship and grow the kingdom with my best friends and people that I like. Um, don't we all? And so uh, I would say that our impact in our community is very important. I think church-minded, we have to be less come. Come to our great event. Come to the chapa. We have to be less like come and more go. Go into the world. Preach the gospel. Be ready in, in in all seasons. Luke chapter 10, he sent the disciples two by two. Go, go, you know, and if someone rejects it, wipe your feet and move on. Learn how to be rejected with a smile. Go, my friends. G-O, go. And we're so focused on come, don't we? Come to church. Come, 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 rather than go and be the church. And so I think our, our, our local body, our 100, 150 people, I think we do a great job of going into the community and being the church. We don't go be covenant life. We be the church, church being the body of Christ. We go be Christ to people. We be his hands and his feet 
And so I think we do a great job in that. Then he asked me, how do you feel like Covenant Life? Nope, I already read that. He said, what goals do you have in your ministry going forward? Man, I love that. Matthew 6, right? Seek first the kingdom of God, but also win the lost, make disciples. That is what I want to do. I want to win the lost. I want to make disciples. And uh, I hope you do too. So that's how I feel like we're affecting the community. Then, like I said, the goals, win the lost, make disciples. That's my goal. It's, it's, we got to keep it simple. If you're, if you're a Christian and you got hurt from religious or uh, organized religion and legalism, like I am so deeply sorry. I think, uh, you know, Jesus would want you to get a taste of him, not get a taste of whatever you taste and you spewed it out. But he'd want you to get a taste of his goodness, of, of what, what it really means to be a Christian and follow Jesus. All right, now, what advice would you give to students looking to be pastors? Run, bro. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, if you come across this podcast, you're like, man, I'd like to be a pastor. What advice would I give? I would say uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I'll say that again. Lean not. Don't put too much support in your own understanding. But in all your ways, just acknowledge God. Acknowledge him in your work, in your school, and everything else. Be humble. Ask God for wisdom. Be a leader, not a boss. Um, be a servant of the people. Uh, do not fear people. Fear God, right? Because Proverbs again, right? Fearing the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So I would say that would be very, very important. And so that, my friends, is going to do it. That is some questions, interview with the pastor. I almost did two separate voices because I'm just sitting here in my, my office by myself, and but that'd be kind of weird. So I hope you had a great time today with the podcast. This I, And I didn't use as many sound effects, man. I should have used, you know, breaking news. And now here's Johnny with sports. Just kidding. I'm done today. Hope you had a great time. No, I don't make any money on this podcast. This is faux free. So, yes. Anyway, have a wonderful and lovely week. Thank you for listening. Shout out again to my number one fan, Cecil. The man, the myth, the legend. This is JB signing off. Until next week on The Madness Show. Join us next Wednesday. Sayonara. Adios. Have a great night.